You're listening to The Co Show, a father-daughter intergenerational conversation about the subjects that really matter. Welcome, everyone, to episode 17 of The Co Show, the daddy-daughter chat show, where we discuss aspects of life from opposite ends of the generational spectrum. I'm your co-host, Tony Co, otherwise known as Big Tone, podcasting today from the gorgeous English village of Elmley Castle in the Cotswolds, where I've moved to. We may talk about that a little bit more in a moment, but joining me is my fabulous daughter and co-host, Podcasting from Hastings on the south coast of England, another Tony, otherwise known as Little Tone. Good morning, Little Tone. Good morning. How are you? I'm good, thank you. It's a it's a nice day today, but it's not as hot as it's been for the last two days. I'm not made for the warm climate. Hmm. The last two days have been like 29 degrees and I've been dying. You should be in a steel tube on a narrowboat. In no, that thank temperature. You. <laughs> no, thank you. I am a winter baby. In fact, I was so hot yesterday that I had to watch a program that had loads of snow in it to calm me down. Oh, now there's an idea. Anyway, for those of you who haven't listened to us before, we are new to podcasting. Uh, and uh, we started, we got the idea when everyone went into lockdown in the UK. I think that was about the 23rd of March, something like that. Something like that, yeah. And we got the idea of we'd like to um, start a podcast. So that's what we do. It, as I say, it's a cross-generational thing. I'm 30 years older than uh, Tony because I'm her daddy. Um, and uh, therefore, I see things rather differently than she does. And that, com- that has come out of our many episodes, well, our 16 episodes before this. We've discussed all kinds of things. I'm just looking at the um, episode list here. So when we started, we actually, the first episode was starting a podcast during a pandemic lockdown. So we talked about the whole idea of doing a podcast. And we decided that what we were going to do is that we were going to make it sort of organic. So our conversation is not scripted. Um, we don't even necessarily have an, an outline. We, we just go where the conversation takes us. And we are also guided by you, the, our lovely listeners, who give us feedback. And you tell us, you, by your engagement, we can see what issues are interesting to you and which perhaps are less interesting to you. So we've talked about all kinds of things. Uh, we talked, obviously, a lot about the coronavirus and being in lockdown. We also talked about our joint uh, journey to becoming vegan. That was in episode six. Um, and uh, what other things we talked about. We had a little bit of some controversy. We talked about white privilege and uh, Tony's rather nutty idea that we should abandon the police force or something. Um, and then we morphed into the discussion about in episode nine about whether statues of historic figures who were a bit naughty in olden days should be torn down. And things like that. So that it's a, quite a, a, a wide-ranging list of discussions. We discussed religion and uh, what each of us believes and why we believe it. That was in episode 15. And uh, what you'll find on our journey through the podcast 
um, so far is that I've made a huge life change with my wife, Christine, otherwise known as Kiki. Uh, we have, uh, as a result, really, of the coronavirus pandemic, we decided to quit London. We lived in central London in Kensington. We have moved out into a beautiful village in the Cotswolds. We also bought a narrowboat. We'll talk a bit more about that, I'm sure, in a moment, because that sparked a great deal of interest amongst our listeners. So that's just a quick recap of how we got to this point. You got anything to add to that little tone? Nope. That's it? My ideas aren't nutty, (laughs) but I won't be triggered by your antagonistic approach. I could see you get, this is the nice thing that we can see each other on Zoom when we do this, because I can see- I also rolled my eyes when you said, I changed my life and bought an arrow boat. That's what the last three episodes have been about. (laughs) Okay. So, um, yes, yeah, so the, the the last part of our huge life change uh, involved us. We did buy this. We, we bought this narrowboat. The narrowboat is called Tickety-Boo. Um, and uh, we went to collect it a week ago uh, on the 1st of August uh, from, a, from the marina where we bought her which is a marina called Mercia Marina up in Derby. And uh, this whole time since then, we have been bringing her down to her new home, uh, which was a, a week's cruise, really, um, to, uh, to Dunchurch Pools Marina near Rugby. And so that was quite an adventure. And we posted a lot on the Kosho Facebook page, a lot of images, uh, about about the journey and the whole adventure and it sparked a great deal of interest from listeners and um, no doubt we'll get into a, a bit of that what have you been up to though Tony this is too much about me um I went and saw an osteopath for the first time last week um lots of people will know that I have um some health issues and I found that to be really interesting and really helpful um, Tom and I took a first, the first swim in the sea this year. Well, actually, the first time that we've gone for a swim in the sea in Hastings since we moved here. And we were like, why haven't we done this before? <laughs> this is amazing. Um, I can't really think of anything else. So what, what does an osteopath do? Um, they manipulate muscle tissue and um, they kind of, they, they look at your at all of the, the ailments that you're having and uh, they talk to you about your um, medical history and yeah, they just kind of manipulate your body. Um, so he was telling me that I, I had stiffness in areas of my body that I didn't realize until he touched them. And, w- and one of the places that was super stiff was my left hip. Cause apparently you have the biggest mass of muscles in your hips. Um, and because of my skiing accident, my left leg has been overcompensating for the weight of my whole body. Um, and so I have this like really bad stiffness in my left hip. Um, so I think it's a case of like moving things around and pushing the muscle to release tension. Um, but yeah, it was really good, really quite eye opening um, for me. Is that going to help you? you think? I hope so. So now, now that you've, you've mentioned that uh, you, why don't you just share your uh, what happened to you in, with regard to your um, skiing accident? Um, so um, I went skiing with you 
for the first time after about like nine years or something. I yep. think it was. I think it was. Um, I'm definitely bigger. I'm carrying a lot more weight these days. And I was in a skiing class. I had a really good morning skiing, no problems. It felt like getting back up on the bike. But then the instructor decided to take us up when the weather had got uh, a little bit worse. Um, and like it was, my vision wasn't very good because we, we were in a bit of a whiteout. And basically he just, he agreed and he just wanted to get us down the hill quite fast. And I was like, oh, I'm feeling a bit scared. And he was just like, just follow me as closely as you can right behind me. And he was just going a bit quick and I was just trying to get to the bottom of the hill. And I, I hit a mogul, oh, I hit like a bit of bad terrain and um, one ski went over the other. Essentially my legs crossed. So my ski went one way and my knee went the other um, because I guess one ski was over the other and my weight was pulling me down and my knee twisted the other way. Uh, apparently it's really common. They have like 30 people on the slopes that do it a day. Um, but it meant that I ruptured my meniscus and my ACL um, in my knee. Um, and I couldn't walk for about two and a half to three months. Um, and uh, I, didn't have, I didn't have surgery. Um, and it's just meant that my reflexes are, are not the same as in my left knee and my knee gets quite stiff, but also it's really affected my um, mobility in terms of, um, I'm just not very, I'm just not um, very athletic anymore. I used to be really into like sports and stuff like that. And I feel like um, it's, it's put a bit, a bit of a barrier in a way. Uh, what do you think you might ever go back to skiing or not? I'd love to. I'd really like to try again because I, the, the morning that I did the skiing, I really, really enjoyed it. And I think, I don't want to put the blame on this guy, but I think he pushed me too far. And I think it's because I was joining a class when they had already been with him for a week. So I was like a beginner in, in a, a class of beginners that had already been skiing for a whole week. Um, and I, I feel that he pushed me too, too quickly. Um, and it, the, trauma of having an accident like that has made me super afraid of hurting myself because it really meant that I had no independence for like three months because I was in a wheelchair um, I couldn't do anything that I would normally do because I, I work in music so I'm always going to gigs I'm going up to London going to shows and stuff like that and I just couldn't do it because the accessibility to get into venues to get onto trains is really bad it made me really feel bad for people that are that have mobility issues all the time um and well, yeah. well it, it, it made a big difference to to my whole um approach to skiing i i probably well let, let me say first of all you joined it was min it was the three of us wasn't it and jackie Mindy. oh and jackie yes of course yeah. jackie was there as well and they're much I, better skiers than i am so i got into this um th this routine of doing a sort of daddy daughter ski trip every year um and uh, uh we always went to the same hotel and the same resort so the resort is oberlek um as it sounds over lek a uh, lek is a resort that actually princess diana used to take her children to a lot and uh, oberlek is a beautiful resort above it which is actually on it's in austria above lek and actually on the side of the mountain so the only way that you can get up to the hotels which are located in oberlek is by 
a ski lift, a, um, a cable car effectively. And uh, so all your cases go up to the hotel in the cable car. And, but you can imagine that, you're, that you spend then the rest of the week on the side of the mountain, on, in a resort on the side of a mountain. There's no traffic up there, obviously, which is lovely. And you have this access to this immensely beautiful and extensive skiing area. And also the, the whole idea, the whole i love being in austria i love their culture there and i love the me too i love they do, the wines are wonderful you yeah we had a and we this they're a little I, bit backwards in terms not backwards is the wrong word but they're a little bit behind in terms of dietary needs but that hotel was amazing so let's because do it let's do a shout out to them because they are i agree it's the hotel montana in oberlec if you get a chance to stay there it's a family-run hotel they can't do enough for you they're amazed. The food was, and actually, I was the only vegan one on that trip um, because the th the three of you were still eating fish, and they just went above and beyond for me. Um, and the food was just, yeah, it was it's just amazing. And you know, Tom and I went to Austria for our honeymoon, and we didn't have the same experience with food the whole time we were there. Yeah, I don't think Austria is well known for its. Um vegan diet no i mean we, we did find one vegan cafe in salzburg which was lovely but yeah this hotel where we went skiing was just like it, i wasn't it wasn't like having a plate of food where they just took away the things that had animal products in they actually gave me a whole version of something really creative and um delicious it was amazing so the so the four of us went there and so um you your younger sister Mindy, your older sister Jackie, and and me went to this went skiing. You, I usually go with Mindy. I have tended to go more with Mindy um, than than the others because she's just been more available because of her job as a wedding photographer. She's freelance. She's so, also a very competent skier as well, and she's a good skier. Um, and uh, you know, it's, it is a wonderful place to ski, and. I was so looking forward to, uh, you know, you and Jackie enjoying it. I don't know, had Jackie been there before or not? Um, no, think. she hadn't been there, but you and her had gone skiing a couple of years previous. Yeah, we'd been skiing, but she hadn't been, you're right, she hadn't been there before. So I was so looking forward to you and Jackie experiencing it. Jackie was, uh, had been skiing more than you. So we, we figured it was a good idea for you to go into ski school. Mm. And uh, I think it was the first morning, wasn't it? Was it actually the Literally first? Literally the first, first day. morning. We, we arrived there and the weather was just amazing. It was like, I keep saying amazing, sorry. Um, yeah. Really sunny, just perfect conditions because it was, you know, it was perfect snow. Uh, it was really, it was warm, not cold, um, really picturesque. And I went out for the morning and just came back feeling great and I remember we had lunch and everyone was really excited for me because they're quite worried you were all worried that I wasn't going to get on uh well with skiing uh, and um came back and I was like yeah it's amazing like I I you know got back on it. it it was it felt easy it felt fun and then and then the weather just took a bit of a turn and um I he took us my instructor took us straight up to the top of the mountain and you just couldn't see anything. The snow was coming down so hard. I don't know if it was just like the, there, there was a weather change from the top of the mountain to the bottom, but it was like we were like in a whiteout. Well, I remember it very, very well because I was so delighted when we when we met for lunch. 
we went, we went back to the hotel, didn't we? We met for lunch because it was a ski in, basically ski in, ski out. Um, all the hotels there are. We went back and had lunch there, and you came back, and we were. I was apprehensive about how you were going to find it because you know Oberlek isn't the easiest place to ski. It's not really a beginner's resort. Mm. Um, and I was very anxious, and then you came back, and you'd had a great time, and I was so pleased about that. But the weather turned, actually, I think, while we were having lunch, if I remember correctly. And you weren't sure about going and back. I, I decided not to go out. Yeah. Uh, I, it, no, that's not right. We did go. Sorry, that I now it's now coming back to me. We did go up afterwards. And I, it, I was to, it was a total whiteout. Snow was coming down. You couldn't see more than a, a yard or two in front of you, if, if that. But you, the worst thing was you can't, in those conditions, you can't tell where up is up and where your body, you know, because skiing is very much about feeling what's happening between your feet and your shifting your weight is absolutely essential yeah. to the technique of skiing. And now you don't know where to, where to shift your weight because mm. you don't know what's downhill and you don't know what's uphill because you've lost all your visibility. It's, I suppose it's like a pilot who is flying with, you know, on instruments without any ability to be able to see mm. what's going on um and i was i just kept falling over and I, you know i mean i'm a reasonable skier um and i i just kept falling over and I, I couldn't understand why and then i thought i'm i'm quitting this i'm gonna i'm gonna injure myself mm. so we three i think i can't remember if it was just me who quitted or whether jackie and mindy did as well but anyway i quitted i quit i should say and um and then, of course, when we, we got the news that you had been injured, the hotel told us that uh, you'd been injured, and then it caused it all. It, it became all rather tragic, really. And it was it was weird because I remember what should have happened is I should have just taken as much time as I needed to get down really slowly. But he was very aggressive about me moving as fast as possible. And it was, and I should have been, I should have been firm about the fact I should have said, no, I'm going to go as slowly as I need to go because I've just got on the slope. But I, I allowed myself to be encouraged to go quickly. I remember seeing this little mouse pop out and like run across to the other side and pop back into the snow. It's really weird. That's like my last memory before I had the accident. But the, but the but thing, the whole, go on. The whole process is really weird because I felt like a pop in my knee. So I thought I'd broken my leg. Um, it was obviously just like a snap. Ugh. And uh, I was screaming, like holding my leg. And it was all the other people in the group that, that came around me to check I was okay and not the skiing instructor. And he was just like, and then they, they got this thing called a blood wagon, which is a bit like a banana boat, which they strap you in upside down. And then mm. two people ski you down the mountain holding either end of the banana boat. And like, if you can imagine being in excruciating pain and holding your knee and being like, mm. like over all these like lumps all the way down. And also I remember thinking that the both skiing instructors were really attractive and I was sobbing. Mm. And so I was like silently sobbing in this banana boat upside down. And they were like, are you okay? And I was like, yes. <laughs> all the way down. And then, but the, the, the care that I received was amazing. It was really, really good. But that ended my skiing career because because when, after you did that, um, I would go down to the clinic with you, and I just remember t 
talking to people while I was waiting for you or whatever it was I was doing. Uh, yeah, I guess I was waiting for you to, to be treated. I, I would speak to other people and I was speaking to people about their accidents. And, and these people were, a lot of them were very, very experienced skiers and just something like you, you know, something slipped, a ski slipped the wrong way or whatever. And now they are, you know, quite seriously injured. Yeah. And, uh, and then, then I met someone at the airport, you know, who was in a wheelchair who told me about her accident. She was a really competent skier. She had it done twice or she'd, she'd blown her ACL twice or before that. Is that well. right? But she yeah. told me that she was literally standing in a queue for a lift halfway up the mountain. And one of her skis just happened to slip down a slope. And now she was in a wheelchair. Mm. And uh, she was so, this to give you an idea of how, good a skier she was she skied down the rest of the way to the resort on one ski carrying her other ski because she was injured that's how good a skier she was yeah and uh, and yet now you know she was in a wheelchair and she was looking forward to like 12 months of, of, of not being able to you know walk at all yeah and I thought because you know I love the sport of pickleball I'm sure we'll talk about that sometime a bit more but uh I and I love you know play that sport a lot or did before the um, lockdown. Um, and uh, I thought the idea of being off that for six months, you know, because of a silly injury on a, you know, on a one week ski holiday, I just thought I'm, I'm not going to take that risk anymore. So it ended my, you know, it ended my skiing as well, which was sad, yeah, but there you are. But yeah, I, it, it, it really doesn't have to take that long to, to recover. I mean, it's, it's about eight weeks that you're, unable to walk but then it's like you have to go through this process of like relearning to it's more a commitment to physio that's the long-term thing but i think because i obviously have this autoimmune disease my body tends to repair a lot slower than other than like someone who has a healthy immune system um but i think more than the physical issues it really emotionally shook me because i suddenly became aware of how mortal i am and how easy it is for the human body to break it's actually a pretty amazing resilient thing as well and it's able to fix itself very well but i just um became completely afraid of hurting myself so then just stopped like getting involved with um physical activity after that but um it was still it was still such a picturesque place to be and I miss all that. I miss all that. You know, just sitting in the mountain restaurants and having a glass of glue vine, you know, whatever it is, having your lunch sitting in. It's beautiful. That's lovely. And I I really do miss that. Maybe it's worth just going for that, you know, not. Well, we did that, didn't we, Dad? Because you and I went to Lapland and I I just absolutely loved being there. Um, I loved being amongst the mountains that we had the most, we had the best version of, the northern lights like the conditions were just perfect for us we had like the um dancing corona and everything mm. um which you know people travel to places like lapland to see and don't get to see it so we had like the perfect conditions the food was really good at that hotel as well we went dog sledding we saw a baby moose <laughs> oh we should actually we we could certainly talk about that trip <laughs> yeah it was amazing i mean i i, I would happily go uh to a place like you know a, a snowy place like well that that really that's my favorite kind of holiday is a cold country mm. i'd much rather be in the snow than the sun actually the sun in the snow would be great 
Well, talking of holidays, of course, I've just come back from this uh, maiden voyage, um, bringing Tickety Boo uh, to her new home. Um, and that sparked, as I say, if you want to see the images, you want to see what Tickety Boo looks like, go to the Co Show um, Facebook page and you'll see a lot of images of that trip. Um, and uh, I want to talk more about that. And uh, I'm not sure whether we've got too much time to go into it much detail now, but it, the English canals are some are a place that have been a holiday venue for me, if I can put it that way, for many, many years. And of course, you and your sisters, Tony, came on a lot of narrowboating holidays. Um, and I just am in love with the history of the English canal system. And to, to have our own boat now, uh, it, it's very special rather than having to hire a boat now you can have your own stuff around you and everything the way you want it to be and i was quite touched by how it sparked interest amongst our listeners particularly those in america who have they don't even know they keep calling it a long boat for some reason <laughs> not a long boat it's it a narrow a long boat. boat well it is long it's it's 60 <laughs> foot long it has to be because it's so narrow so you have to, <laughs> you have to get your accommodation um, into a six foot ten wide space, um, so it has to extend quite a distance. Uh, but um, it, that was very very special. Tickety Boo is a lovely boat. She's she's five years old, but she's hardly been used. the The engine has only when we bought her um, a few week, a couple of weeks ago. It had only done eighty eighty. I think it was eighty six hours in in five years, which is nothing. It's like a you know car having done a thousand miles. It's you know just absolutely nothing. She performed beautifully. A lot of people, a lot of listeners wanted to know what the inside looked like. So, and we'd only been doing sort of shots of the beautiful canal um, and the outside of the boat, and so we started posting pictures of the inside. Uh, she's essentially a one bedroom one proper bedroom where the bed is left made up all the time. That's right at the front of the boat. And then you've got um, what they call a walk-through bathroom, uh, which is a shower, proper shower, um, toilet and uh, hand basin, a nice bathroom. Um, every bit, the, the shower is every bit as good as having a shower at home. Um, and then there's a, what's really nice is it's got a sitting area with a, a stove in it uh two sort of executive type chairs really comfortable uh, reclining chairs in that area and then it has its dining uh, dinette uh area where a bit like a train it's a pullman dinette um where we can face each other and have uh, our meals and that converts into another double bed and uh kiki and i we we don't have a great time trying to sleep in, even in the best circumstances because one of us and i'm not going to say which one but one of us is a terrible snorer um <laughs> and uh, so it's quite difficult uh you know to spend a whole night to get together in very small circumstances but i can remember once i was in, in a in a meeting um, of our uh, professional association the worldwide employee relocation council the board were meeting and i was a new member of the board so I was trying to sort of make a bit of an impression. Um, I was around the table and they were going around the table. You know how Americans come up with these, with these ideas. So 
the idea was we were going around the table to find out what was keeping us all awake at night. So, but it was supposed to be from a business perspective. And, and we were going around the table. So, you know, what's, what's, what's in relocation industry, which is keeping you awake at night. And he came to me and I said, well, apart from my wife snoring, oop, I've just given away which one of us snores. <laughs> everyone, I think that sort of uh, got me known uh, uh, as a new board member quicker than anything else might have done. Um, because everyone else, everyone thought that was hilarious. Um, but it, it is something that we have to cope with so we we had to make up the table every night uh, as well as having the other bed so um, that's a bit of a chore but you know the whole thing is oh and coming back further in the boat the, the back of the boat you've got the galley the kitchen really well fitted out it's like a modern kitchen you've got a microwave you've got uh, um, proper ovens and all the rest of it you've got everything that you could possibly need it's like a small, it's like a, a small flat in a, a small, a small, a kitchen in a small flat is what I wanted to say. Um, and, uh, and then the back at the very back of the boat is what's called a cruiser stern. So it's, uh, there are very, I won't go into the details of what kind of sterns you can have on a narrow boat, but this one is where much more sociable. It's got a big area at the back where you can all be when the, when the boat's cruising along, enjoy it. So you can in, all, all sit together, have a drink. We, of course, Drinking is a very important part of narrowboating. You know, being able to have a beer and a glass of wine on the uh, on the deck is nice. Uh, that's where the tiller is, where obviously where you you steer the boat. And uh, so these images that we were putting out were, were causing a lot of um, interest and questions, which I won't have time to answer now because we're coming up to our thirty minutes. But I will go into detail and answer the questions that have been raised. Tony has a great deal of experience of narrowboating, so I'm sure she'll be chipping in on that. And I'm going to be talking about the good, the bad, and the ugly. There's definitely a bit of ugly. Uh, there's a bit of ugly in narrowboating. There's a little bit of bad, but the most, mostly it's all good. And um, I want to uh, answer the questions that have been raised, and I'll do that. I've so, actually just found a couple of pictures of uh, me and Mindy from a really early narrowboating holiday, which I've posted on the Co Show podcast. Oh, Facebook. great. What, what, can you see from the pictures when they might have been? Um, well, I would say that I look about seven, six or seven. Oh, right. Okay. Oh, well, um, I'll, I'll take a look at that. And maybe I can remember where they were. Yeah. I mean, I think that granddad might have been on this one. He came on a lot of, that's my dad, uh, now sadly passed on. Uh, it, he, um, he came on a lot of them with us. So I would be almost certain that he would have probably come on the one that you're referring to. But we'll take a look at that. Okay, so uh, just to wrap up here for this um, episode 17, uh, please do uh, continue to give your feedback on what we're talking about. We'd like you to steer us in the direction uh, that we'd like um, you, that you'd like us to go in terms of the topics that we discuss, so that we respond to you. We want it, this um, podcast to be uh, participatory in that in that respect. We'll answer any questions that you raise and um, and be guided by what topics uh, interest you. So you can access all the episodes that I, I talked about earlier, the last 16 episodes and this episode 17 by going to Tony Co. that's T-O-N-Y-C-O-E dot com. That'll take you to our Buzzsprout platform, which has all the episodes there. You'll also be able to see how to see us as well as 
hear us if you want to do that um, by going to our, it'll give you the link to our YouTube channel. And uh, so do give your feedback by way of comments on the Facebook page or wherever you want to comment. We'd love to hear from you. And uh, we look forward to chatting further with you next week when I hope we'll be talking about the good, the bad, and the ugly of narrowboating on the English canal system. Um, so, again, thank you and goodbye from Big Tone here and from. So you say again, thank you and good night. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so goodbye from me. Bye. Bye. <laughs>